0: Hello and welcome back again to the Yeshua Judaism series of podcast. Today we'll be discussing another simple common sense proof that Yeshua the Messiah, or as he is often known, Jesus, is not God in the flesh. And we'll do this by discussing the temptation of Messiah, the the circumstances surrounding the temptation of Christ. So, in this discussion, proof that Messiah is not God in the flesh, or God incarnate, will be shown from the event of Yeshua's temptation. Furthermore, when Yeshua the Messiah's temptation is openly discussed, instead of implicitly lessened in importance and presented in an overly simplistic manner, the dominant Christian teaching that Messiah is the Creator God is proven to actually be flagrant blasphemy of the one and only Creator. Despite the fact that it is probably unintentional, the eternal Creator is nonetheless blasphemed and desecrated by those who teach that Yeshua, or Jesus, is the Creator God. As you listen, I invite you to deeply and honestly ponder the ramifications of the temptation of Messiah. If you do, it will be revealed as a vital truth which proves beyond the, a shadow of a doubt that Yeshua the Messiah is most certainly not God. Okay, so let's go to Yeshua's conversation with the Satan. The discussion will start with the recorded temptation of Messiah found in the Gospel of Matthew. And I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, and I'll be reading from the King James Version, but you can use whatever version you wish. Okay, again, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Then was Yeshua led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungred. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Yeshua said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Yeshua unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And that ends the quote. Now, parallel accounts are found in Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, and Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, and I'll read those. So first reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. And then reading from Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And Yeshua, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days did he eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone, that it be made bread. And Yeshua answered him, saying, It is written, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into an high mountain, showeth him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomever I will give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Yeshua answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence." For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Yeshua answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And that ends the quotes from the Gospels regarding the temptation of Messiah. Since the fourth century, Christianity has often brutally enforced the doctrine that Yeshua is God in the flesh. Therefore, Christianity obviously teaches that God, as Messiah, was tempted by Satan. In contrast to Christianity's tragically idolatrous error, it cannot be expressed forcefully enough that the eternal Creator God cannot be tempted. Ejecting from the issue. Before proceeding with my defense of truth, I will briefly mention the typical response to discussions such as this by those who believe that Messiah is God. Basically, they eject from the issue. What do I mean by such a statement? Okay, I'll use an example with which virtually everyone is Familiar. The example is a military fighter pilot in an aerial dogfight. Imagine you are piloting a fighter aircraft and embroiled in a high-altitude dogfight with the enemy. Moreover, imagine that you are losing. The enemy has managed to maneuver into a position for a kill shot. You are in his proverbial crosshairs. Using gunfire or missiles, the enemy strikes your aircraft which renders it incapable of continuing the fight. You have mere seconds before your plane explodes in a ball of fire. The fight is over. You know it. You lost. What do you do? You resort to the only choice remaining. You eject from the aircraft. You punch out of the aircraft to escape certain death. Well... That is precisely what Christianity does with the issues such as this one being discussed. Well, then, how do they eject? They do so with the commonly used tactic of it's a mystery or that was the human part of Messiah who did that. That wasn't the God part. Or similar phrases. The that to which they refer is Messiah's death or Messiah's temptation or other examples of Messiah praying or numerous other actions of Messiah which, using common sense reasoning, prove beyond doubt that he cannot possibly be God in the flesh. Christians eject from such dialogues all the time, so often, in fact, that the conversations rarely reach a conclusion because the Christian ejects from the discussion. Notice this now, they always say, oh, it's a mystery, we can't understand, or, oh, well, that was the human part of Messiah, that wasn't the God part. In other words, they they have a Messiah with a split personality. They always do this, people. You'll hear it all the time. Typically, Christians and Christian leaders refuse to bow to truth, reason, and, more importantly, common sense. They realize the fight is over, they know it, they lost, just like the fighter pilot. They can't defend their position, therefore, just like the fighter pilot, they eject from the discussion. It reminds me of a favorite quote, actually, of mine from Thomas Paine. This is a great quote. Quote, To argue with a person who has renounced the use of reason is like administering medicine to the dead. I love that quote because it is so true. To argue with a person who has renounced the use of reason is like administering medicine to the dead. The mere fact that this rhetorical ejection device is a primary tactic used by those who wish to defend the God incarnate concept should not go unnoticed. It also should not be accepted by anyone, since it is, indeed, so often used to avoid basic, common-sense reasoning. Sadly, those who eject in such a manner have consciously renounced the use of reason. So be it. I prefer to not waste the medicine of truth on the dead. Biased, biased scribes and translators do make a difference. Before continuing, I must deviate slightly to address a couple of verses found within some translations that lead Christians into thinking that God can be tempted, that God himself, the Creator, can be tempted. Such passages provide alleged evidence, according to them, that it is possible to tempt the eternal master creator God. I would be remiss were I not to point out that there may be a verse or two within the New Testament which appears to provide evidence that Messiah is the God being tested in the recorded temptation of Messiah. One of those verses is 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 9. And I'll be reading here from the NET version, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9. And let us not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by snakes. All right. This verse is referring to an incident recording in Numbers chapter 21, verses 5 through 9, in which God punished the Israelites by sending serpents into their camp. Therefore, if this verse from 1 Corinthians is legitimate, then it seems to suggest that a pre-existent Messiah was the God of that ancient event. I will only state presently that the term rendered Christ in the verse I just read is one of three possible renderings, all of which you could say are legitimate. Some manuscripts, utilized by translators, use the Greek term that would be rendered as Lord. Others use a term that would be rendered as God. An example is found by referencing the New American Standard Bible, from which we read, and again this is 1 Corinthians 10:9 from the New American Standard Version. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Now notice that. So you have three possible words there, either Christ, Lord, or God, and all three of them do not necessarily refer to God or to Christ. Okay? You got three possible renderings, Christ, Lord, or God. It should be no surprise that a God incarnate bias could provide a motive for Christian translators to choose the manuscripts that are rendered as Christ in most Bible versions. In other words, the Christian translators of English Bible versions may have let their bias guide them into rendering the passage as they wish it to read, and actually first in selecting the manuscript they they wish to use. A manuscript and rendering which advances their biased belief that Messiah is God in the flesh. I will hasten to add, however, that at least in many Bibles, there is a note directing the careful reader to the possible other renderings of Lord or God in place of the word Christ. Of course, either of those alternate renderings eliminate completely support for the passage to be used as evidence supporting the God-in-the-flesh doctrine. If you use Lord or God, then it is simply referring to God. There's no implication that's it's referring to Christ at all in 1 Corinthians 10:9. It is possible that the term Christ is correct. However, that still provides nothing, since the word Christ is taken from a Greek word— which simply means anointed. For instance, it could be referring to Moses. Moses was definitely anointed by God and present during the time of the incident recording in Numbers chapter 21. I personally do not hold to such an opinion and feel that the term Lord or God is likely correct. Be that as it may, it is simply a fact that even use of the term Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 does not have to always refer to Jesus Christ of Christianity. Ultimately, like other verses with, within the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 9 is inconclusive since the variation in available manuscript ad, manuscript evidence does not allow us to firm, or excuse me, to form a firm conclusion. For the purposes of this specific study of the temptation of Messiah, it would prove nothing anyway, since within the temptation passages, which we read earlier, Messiah, in his response to the devil's attempt, is clearly referring to God, the God that he worshipped, and not to himself. So Messiah is referring to the God he himself worshipped. He is not referring to himself. Likewise, the devil is not assuming that the man, Yeshua, to whom he was speaking, was God in the flesh. A fact I will now prove. Satan knew to whom he was speaking. Let me direct you back to the words of the Satan, the tempter. Notice that within his words to Messiah, he twice stated, If thou be the Son of God... Note that there isn't the slightest hint that Satan considered him to be God. Which is why I say that Satan obviously did not assume that Yeshua was God in the flesh. If he had, if he believed and knew Yeshua to be God in the flesh, his question would have been, if thou be God. But that's not what he asked. He asked, if thou be the Son of God. Evidently, unlike Christian leaders, Satan knew full well that Messiah is most definitely not God. This seemingly trivial point is actually quite important, since it provides yet more proof that Yeshua the Messiah is most definitely not God in the flesh. Okay, it is impossible to tempt the Creator God. The Gospels record the clear fact that Messiah was tempted. In addition, Christianity clearly promotes that Messiah is God in the flesh. Have you been led to believe that God can be tempted? Then perhaps you should consider the words of James, the apostle, the literal brother of Yeshua. Yes, the Catholic Church is incorrect when they teach that Yeshua had no siblings. James was his literal brother. Flesh and blood, brother, Mary or Miriam had other children. Okay, reading from James chapter one, verse thirteen. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth tempteth he any man. Notice that. God cannot be tempted with evil. Many Christians would implicitly or explicitly argue, but but wait, James, Christianity says Yeshua is God and he was tempted. That's what many Christians apparently would argue. They would argue with James and say that James is wrong. I again unapologetically state, without hesitation, that the eternal creator God, just as James said, cannot be tempted. Therefore, unless you wish to dare suggest that the Creator God can be tempted, then you must accept that Messiah cannot possibly be God. This is yet another straightforward, rational bit of evidence which proves beyond doubt that Messiah is not God. How can anyone be so blind so as to not see the simplicity of such a proof. People, this is simple common sense. Matthew records Yeshua during his temptation, quoting a passage from Torah. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, when he responds with, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. The New American Standard Bible more properly renders this verse as, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Notice that test. Just in case a person may assume that this somehow suggests God can be tempted, I will endeavor to explain the difference between the temptation of Messiah and the tempting, or better yet, testing of God. God's mercy is indeed tested, but He is never tempted. The temptation of Messiah was of the sort James defines with a further reading from his epistle. And I'll be reading from James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The form of temptation James describes is the type that test a person's limits of righteousness and obedience to God. It refers to being enticed to sin or to transgress God's Torah or instructions. It is obvious from the Gospel readings within Mark, Matthew, and Luke that this enticement understanding was precisely the nature of the Satan's temptation of Messiah. Yet, God cannot be enticed to sin. The tempting of God, however, has a completely different meaning. It does not involve enticement to sin, since God cannot sin. It is of the sort that tests God's limits of grace or mercy. In the temptation account, as presented by the New American Standard Bible, it is correctly rendered as testing God, with our sin, and thus risking His wrath. Reading from Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, from the New American Standard Version, Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Notice that. We have all seen children test their parents by trying to find and perhaps expand the boundaries of permissible behavior, beyond which discipline is imposed. Well, that is exactly what testing God means. We are commanded, as His children, to not test the limits of His mercy and grace or favor, because God does have limits. This form of testing is what God deals with daily as He sees and hears our every thought, word, and action— Indeed, we test God constantly, and we continue to exist solely because His merciful patience endures forever. The basic difference, okay, between the tempting or testing of Yeshua the Messiah and the tempting or testing of God is this. Tempting or testing of Yeshua was a test of His righteousness and obedience "...to the God he worshipped, Tempting or testing of God, however, is a test of his mercy and grace. Those are two completely different forms of tempting. Therefore, do not let anyone lie to you by suggesting that it is possible to tempt God in the same manner that Messiah was tempted by the Satan as recorded in the, the Gospels." Don't let them lie to you people. God cannot be tempted by the Satan. Christian leaders directly oppose the epistle of James. Christianity, by teaching that Yeshua is God in the flesh, not only teaches that God was drawn away of his own lust by being enticed or tempted to sin, but that he was tempted by evil he was yeshua was tempted by the satan so if yeshua is god then that means god was tempted by evil thus christian pastors directly contradict what james says in his epistle what most christian leaders say occurred is specifically what james says is impossible let us see the verse from James chapter 1, verse 13 again. It says, For God cannot be tempted with evil. So, the grand deceiver through Christianity is blatantly promoting that the eternal Creator can be tempted to sin through enticement and lust and tempted by evil. Did you hear that? Christianity literally teaches by teaching that Messiah is God, Christianity is teaching implicitly that God can be tempted to sin through enticement and lust and that God can be tempted by evil. Therefore, by teaching that Yeshua is God in the flesh, Christian leaders contradict James in each of the two points he makes about God's complete immunity From temptation, Christian leaders are directly promoting that God, as Messiah, can and was tempted by the Satan. That is an absolute fact that they cannot deny, no matter how much verbal gymnastics and trickery they attempt to utilize. But, there is an even more despicable and wicked component of their teachings which I will expose later in Part 2. It is a matter of a simple reading of the New Testament and common sense. The fact that Yeshua was tempted, even though God cannot be tempted, should disprove any suggestion that Yeshua is God. What is so hard to understand about the clear facts learned from this single issue? I mean, people, this is simple. God cannot be tempted by evil. Yeshua the Messiah was tempted by evil. Therefore, Yeshua the Messiah is not God. Simple. Those who still believe that Yeshua the Messiah is God after after considering this issue are quite simply refusing to bend to the facts or worship the true God. Instead, they willfully choose to cling to the idolatrous teaching of the pagan Roman Empire, the pagan Roman Empire from which Christianity gets most, if not all, of its teachings. They continue to cling to the teachings of the pagan Roman Empire-based Christianity as they worship a false god by promoting the false god in the flesh, a god in the flesh Christ, which is actually a usurper of Christ, a bogus Christ, which, by the way, is the literal translation of Antichrist being promoted by Christianity. All right, so we'll stop here. We're coming up on 30 minutes, and join me again in part two of the discussion of the temptation of Messiah, and that will be the concluding part of our discussion. Again, Join join me in part two where we discuss the temptation of Messiah and how that proves he is not God. And within that discussion, I'm going to reveal something that is particularly despicable about this teaching. Something that is rather shocking, actually. By teaching that Messiah is God in the flesh, the true God is being severely desecrated, and I will expose that and discuss that in part two. Thank you for listening, and goodbye.